You are listening to Harry Scott Sullivan, but this isn't Death by DVD. And for this episode, I'm also not your host. I was recently honored with the chance to be a guest on the premier podcast for Phantasm fans, Morningside FM. Morningside FM is the ultimate experience for Phantasm fans. Every angle explored, diving deep to the tall man's feared red planet and back. And what you are about to hear is episode 2 of season 2 of Morningside FM, hosted by the great Chris Discord. If you enjoy what you hear, please find and follow Morningside FM to hear more and support the amazing work from Chris. Links will be available on all of our websites and social media. And now, enjoy the show. So, what's the only thing to listen to in this town? Good evening, you're listening to Morningside FM, the podcast where we talk all things Phantasm. Now, we've talked a lot about the original 1979 classic here on Morningside FM, but it's time to finally get down to the sequels and talk about them in depth. So joining me this week is none other than Harry from the Death by DVD podcast to talk all things Phantasm 2. Harry, welcome to Morningside FM. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you here. So before we get down to all things phantasmagorical, um, tell the listeners a bit about Death by DVD, the podcast where I discovered you. Well, Death by DVD just recently in 2023 turned 14 years old, and it was started by Alexander Nash and myself, where we had decided pretty much there wasn't enough horror or exploitation on the internet. And of course, since the time when we started the show to now, there are many other wonderful podcasts that produce great content about horror exploitation, video nasties films. So we haven't had as much steam lately. And in the time between that, I've been working on indie movies and hoping to get further into independent filmmaking. So Death by DVD kind of has become an overwhelming indie horror entity, (laughs) I guess, at this point in history. Like Phantasm. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, I think Phantasm's a little greater, though. (laughs) Well, that was, of course, how I discovered you. It was back in 2021, you did a whole run of Phantasm episodes. And I, I listened to podcasts while commuting. And the fact that you framed it as a journey in the CUDA was kind of surreal because I felt like I was on that journey with you. And I enjoyed those episodes so much. Yeah, really, that came down to the editing that um, there was a part while I was editing and cutting stuff out of the show where I started talking about how watching the Phantasm series feels almost as if you're in the car with them, and it hit me, why don't you do that for the episode? And maybe people that aren't aware or familiar with it might feel akin to it, because I've encountered more often than not, people just don't like Phantasm, and they never have seen it, though, and that's what I'll get. I've never seen Phantasm, but I just don't think I'll like it, and I think that's insane. (laughs) That's such a bad judgment call. It's crazy, right? And other horror podcasts that cover it, um, I'll be chatting also this season with Mike Munzer from the Evolution of Horror podcast. They did a great Phantasm episode. Um, but a lot of horror podcasts will kind of give the first film a cursory mention, but kind of neglect the franchise. And it's especially those sequels, I think that they're so 
overlooked and undervalued. Um, so before we get down to properly, you know, deep diving into Phantasm 2, just tell me a bit about how you discovered the films. It was a bit backward for me. I, I remember seeing Phantasm 3 for the very first time and never knew I, I was just <laughs> stupid and didn't read part three in the title. So I just thought there was just this one movie with this little kid hanging out with this ice cream man killing bad guys. And little did I know that that's kind of the antithesis of the first movie, but there was a whole yeah. world. And it was much later that I saw them all. But um, maybe since I was 16 or so, it's just been one of those... Uh, crutches for me almost whenever I'm in a dark place in life whenever I'm questioning myself I tend to watch the phantasm series and and what would Mike do what would Jody do what would Reggie do how it helps me it kind of is a, a guiding stone and it's always been there for me and then it became sort of an obsession with people of I gotta tell you about phantasm though would you like to hear four to five hours about <laughs> phantasm and I just uh, it's it almost feels like a religious experience I want to um baptize people in the church of phantasm please watch this movies and then the best part is to let people go <laughs> watch it and then have them tell you wh what's this about because there's no wrong there's no right it's it's whatever your thoughts are on the movie they're wrong or they're perfect it's it's immaculate that way i love that i love that and i'm exactly the same to the point where that's where i started this podcast i thought no i have to have these ridiculously in-depth conversations with as many people as possible and you know, I've I've kind of wondered how long Morningside FM will run for because to a degree there's a finite amount of subject matter. But on the other hand, I think, well, I could have this conversation every day with a different person or even the same people on different days and it would never get old because it, because exactly like you say, there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to Phantasm and everybody, you know, takes from it to an extent what they bring to it. It's so interpretive. It's so you know, uh, malleable in terms of what's lurking in your subconscious. I just think you could go on forever with it. I love that. I love that about these films. I think age, too, really plays a part in it, that just a few years ago with, with Death by DVD, I did this whole Phantasm thing, and I sat down in the last few days and was listening to the episode just to kind of get, what did I say about <laughs> Phantasm 2? Yeah. And as I was listening to it, I, I realized, well, you know, I don't think that's so much anymore, maybe this. And in just a, a few years uh, with time and how, just as a person, uh, different types of anxiety and depression affect you and just stuff that happens in the world, I look at... Especially Phantasm 2, I think in a little bit uh, different eyes every single time I see it, especially as I grow and develop still as a human being. And I don't think truly anyone stops growing. And, and if you do stop growing, that might be how the tall man gets in sort of thing. But exactly. <laughs> we're yeah. diving deep with that. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that's another amazing thing. Like you mentioned first seeing the movies as a teenager it was the same for me and I'm guessing most <laughs> other fans um, and that's the thing about growing older with these films how you start emphasizing with teenage Mike and then suddenly you you age with that character throughout the films and now you know I watch Oblivion in a completely different way to how I watched it when I was 13 14 you know now I see and I'm straying into talking about the wrong film here but you start to see like oh yeah Mike is becoming the man the boy is becoming the man he's got the sphere in his head and that's you know it's an incredible thing to and especially with the exception of Phantasm 2 the fact that they retained that cast and they they aged before our eyes with us in real time was like that doesn't happen in any other franchise it's incredible 
Yeah, it's one thing I found really difficult when discussing Phantasm is you constantly want to jump to every other movie but the one you're talking about to connect things and to let your own theories kind of expand and and, and enthrall other people. <laughs> yeah. And that's the best thing when you meet another Phantasm fan because it's just like a think tank. You just Your minds connect together and you go through the forks and you go to a new dimension. But part two always really held a special place in my heart almost out of... Um, like malice that so many people don't like it because James Legro is Michael that I'm like, all right, well, I'm yeah. going to love this one just yeah. <laughs> out of spite, but it grows on you. And it it's just, it's such a more macho experience, I think. And it's not macho in a bad way. It's, a, it's definitely a sign of a production company kind of interfering with the Coscarelli vision, but still I, I've grown to terms that it's, it, it's kind of integral to the, the journey we go on with all of the movies. You got to have a soft spot for it. Of course, yeah. What I find amazing watching Phantasm 2 nowadays is how, you know, because it was, it was the best part of a decade after the original, and it's kind of, it's almost a soft reboot in the sense that it's kind of a retelling structurally of the, the plot from the first film, insofar as the first film has a, a, a linear plot. Uh, you know, you have certain set pieces recreated and you have the, the graveside services about to begin, hand on the shoulder moment. So many, you know, you get the tall man at the window and you even have the, the new fresh protagonist with Liz. But then you get your legacy characters coming in to join the new. And and I think a lot of people criticize Phantasm 2 for being light on plot and being a rehash of the original but i find that you know it, like it was weirdly ahead of its time in that respect it's kind of you see that in like the force awakens or ghostbusters afterlife like it's become much more of a of a convention now to do that that mishmash of of retelling the story but with the legacy characters in yeah, and what really makes i think this the series as a whole speaking on all of phantasm is how much old footage Don didn't use in the original film that is kind of laced into the rest of Phantasm. So the beginning of Phantasm 2 starting immediately where Phantasm ends, it's just it's just flawless. You've got this great excitement and then you can guess where the audience starts to sigh because we're introduced to James LeGros. And it's no fault to Don, it's no insult to A. Michael Baldwin that the studio told him, you gotta pick one or the other. Yeah. You can't have two, we don't know who these people are. You gotta have a star in this film. And James Legros on his own is a brilliant character actor. I've always enjoyed his presence and everything the guy's mm -hmm. appeared in, even if it's something short. He did a movie called Thursday, yeah, a really weird American indie film in the late '90s. Brilliant, I love him. I just and I love the movie because yeah. of him. And that's usually what happens. And in this this world, I've always kind of this is a new interpretation that kind of hit me last night watching the movie. A way for fans to maybe develop better feelings towards this movie is you can imagine this is almost a dream yeah. of Mike. Maybe Mike is in the institution dreaming of himself as this kind of uh, badass problem solver with a flamethrower. And it, it doesn't matter how you want to view the light of the movie. It's just maybe a way that. to place... Yeah. James Legros as this new it character. It didn't jar with me the first time I saw it because it's, you know, if they would have if they'd replaced Reggie, that would have been sacrilege, obviously. Because uh, that character was sort of more fixed, I suppose. But with with my... It, it's it's not uncommon for a child actor to be replaced with an adult actor in a, in a sequel in something. It was only when I saw Phantasm 3 and they brought a Michael Baldwin back that then it jars with subsequent watches. But but yeah, I think that, that of course, there's rooms there's room for James Legros. And uh, 
yeah, I love your idea of him kind of like, because it is, it is way more macho. It's way more 80s. It's just bigger. It's more bombastic. And it is almost like an Im- Mike's imagined version of himself as an action hero, because he doesn't really, he isn't an action hero in the later films. Well, maybe Ravager to an extent, but like three and four, he's like a, a kind of mage character almost, isn't he? When he's harnessing his, 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 magical or telekinetic or whatever you want to call it abilities but yeah this is this is action hero mike and i love the idea that um now i've read one version of the stephen avery script uh for you know the 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 unmade the legendary infamous phantasm 1999 um and mike's not really in the the script i read but i i hear there's a version of it out there in which there are two mics there's the james legro mic and the a michael baldwin mic I love that that kind of multiverse aspect to it. Yeah, and now looking at modern Hollywood, we could have had this idea in Phantasm 1999, and they're just doing it with the Flash. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, look at what we could have had with the glory. I've I've always meant to read that script, and it's been available for years online. And I I swear I said this when I talked about Phantasm years ago on Death by DVD. I'm going to sit down and read it, and I I never once have. It's (laughs) the fan in me just yelled at me a little. Of you should you should read the script. And I don't know, that would make a great episode, too, of, of going through the unmade script of um, yeah, Phantasm. I, what was, it was going to be four, and then we got Oblivion yeah, instead. Yeah, uh, as well as the, the actual sequels in this sort of batch of Morningside episodes, we're, we're doing the the unmade sequels, you know, the, the, the never was and, and whatnot. So um, we're going to be talking about Tremendous. the comic as well. and. Stephen Romano did that comic, and he's fantastic. He moved on to work for Ebon Press, which uh, Vinegar Syndrome yeah. is now releasing their their Fulci comics, and those are great. Fan- Stephen Romano oh, is, wow. is a hero to <laughs> Phantasm. Um, wonderful guy. Yeah. But on the uh, note of Morningside FM, I, w- I was listening to season one, and I believe mm. it's episode two, I think, with Zowie, where you yes. guys bring up... The fact that they missed a great opportunity to use the ice cream truck. And I'm, I I'm the biggest fan of the Hemikuda. I, I yeah. love it. But that that I never thought about it. I was listening to the episode and was like, so wow, great. that's a great thought. Because you would they would be selling stuff along the side. Yeah. And that's that was such a pivotal point, Phantasm 2, for me, that they're paying for stuff. And how are they yeah. paying for it? How are they yeah. leaving this money behind if they had an ice cream truck? <laughs> it, I have no it idea. Really, like, it was it was a great kind of zinger, a weaponized. Yeah, if I ever got to play in the Phantasm Sandpit, you know, if I did like a, a comic or a, or a book or a game, I would I would have that ice cream van in there. I don't know. Maybe Reggie got like a huge insurance payout from his house exploding. Yeah, that that gets us back on track too with Phantasm Two. That the movie begins where Phantasm ends. Yeah, and I've always wondered, and I with with the idea that this whole movie maybe could be a dream. That it's it's a little disturbing, and I don't mean to doubt the hero- heroicism of the character of Reggie, but his family dies, and it's not just his wife and kids. It sounds like Aunt Celeste or somebody else came down and made a turkey. This great, yeah. like seventeen people are in the house, yeah. and they all die, and he immediately wants to get laid, and it it <laughs> kind of it's like okay, is this a reality or is this sort of a dream of this little boy that is in? A mental institute, and all he knew, like, uh, from the first movie, he kind of was peeking in on his brother having sex, he knew about Tommy and getting laid, and Mm -hmm, it's kind mm -hmm. of this idea of a a boy locked away's dream. And if you just take the first two movies and and don't watch the others, you can really believe that. But by the time you get to Phantasm V, Alexander Nash brought this up on uh, our Phantasm II episode, Mm. what if it was all Reggie? 
this is just his distorted memories. And I, I yes. really like kind of placing Phantasm 2 in a distorted memory, specifically because James LeGrow has been cast in this character, so no one's really remembering it quite right, or maybe someone's fans fantasizing that they're a little bit different than they really are. I love that, yeah. And especially, as you were saying, it's so hard to talk about one Phantasm film, especially as the sequels go on and it becomes more, they all become entwined and there are clips and flashbacks and dreams and deleted scenes. But um, I think Ravager, honestly, it changes everything, especially thinking of it as Reggie's story rather than Mike's story, that all these kind of inconsistencies and gaps, it's his failed failing memories and his his confusion and not knowing who mike is and it kind of in that really strange way yeah it kind of it canonizes mike looking different but also for me it lends uh, a new angle to the kind of apocalyptic element that starts to sneak in as of you know from two onwards with the abandoned towns and it's almost like well was that happening were they really driving through these these desolate towns? Or is it that Reggie can't remember them anymore and they're just a blank in his head now? And it's kind of, you know, like that force is the ravager that's ravaging Yeah, I, I his somewhat memories. wonder... I sometimes am perplexed with uh, Phantasm 2 from the point of view of a transition almost that uh, we begin Phantasm with it being clearly... The point of view, our, our avatar in the film, if you will, is Michael. Mm. And we're seeing all this from his perspective. And we move into the second movie, and as he moves into adulthood, there's a scene I've always really focused on where they have a, a grenade and a Budweiser can, and it's this big setup in case somebody breaks in, and Reggie's getting it on upstairs. Mm -hmm. And you don't really see it in the movie, but a cat comes through the window and explodes, and Mike and Reggie just kind of stand and look at it, and all the gore splattered on the window and wall... And I've always felt that we kind of transitioned from Mike to Reggie at that scene because Mike says something to the effect, I don't even know if it's so much what he says, his attitude changes. I think he realizes it's almost time to grow up and then in three and four, Michael mm. slowly becomes something else and it's almost as if he's accepted death. And and knowing Coscarelli's fear of death, I, I almost wonder if it's Reggie's hope that is the character, not even so much Reggie anymore, that... Following this, he keeps the fight up. It's always Reggie that comes back. It's always Reggie that is prevailing through things. And maybe it was not enough for Mike. But no, no questions really get answered if it's a dream or not, because we, I don't think we ever touch upon Mike being institutionalized in, in another Phantasm movie again. I don't <laughs> no, it's interesting that never comes up again, not even in Ravager. And in terms of, like, who is our avatar, it, the strangest thing is that Phantasm 2 begins with Liz as sort of positioned as the protagonist in this film. And she's having dreams of Mike. But it does kind of shift uh, to, you know, to put him front and center. But you're absolutely right about that moment when he says, you know, Reg, there are people who are alive right now who are depending on us. And it's the, like, the pressure of that. He, it, it, it's too much for him there's, there's a he's almost defeated there and it's Reggie takes up you know I was about to say takes up the shotgun he's already got the shotgun you know what I mean like metaphorically takes up the shotgun then and becomes the action hero of of, of Phantasm of, of, of the franchise and I think it's it's really interesting because in that same conversation was that you're you're a bald middle-aged ex-ice cream vendor and, and I think we've touched yeah. you know, on both our show and, and yours about how there's 
on the one hand, something of the midlife crisis about Reggie. He's still rocking the kind of aging hippie look, but it's like there's a, a really powerful defiance in that because he's not he's you know he's not letting go of his inner child or you know he's not losing his soul and that you could argue that's the moment where mike kind of grows up and i think it's something i and i i don't mean to say this in a trivialization of a an animal dying but i think in this in the essence of the movie that the tall man is almost plague like destroying towns and digging up all these people mm. the trigger is something so simplistic to to him because most of the time, a small cat, a pet, is something you have very fond childhood memories of, a dog or something like that, and it brings sort of a sense of reality to him that death just isn't being reborn and turned into this squished-up Jawa. It's it's so much more than that, that I'm going to die. What am I doing yeah. wasting my time hanging out with this burnout? But yeah. it's... It's such a hard thing to, to traverse because you, you I always want to internalize things and I always want to take it very personally. And I, <laughs> I feel almost an insult to that because it's Reggie that selflessly is doing all of this. He doesn't have to go into hell, but he sure will. And yeah. something about that trait to me is is really the backbone. And it's it's a core lesson to sort of take with Phantasm that even in his, his oldest age, if you've seen Raventer, I'll try not to spoil things too much, he still fights. Yeah. Reggie is yeah. Reggie's a source that, and I, I touched upon this earlier, when I'm having a hard time in life, when I'm doubting myself, I'll watch the movie series specifically because I need that Reggie. I don't have a Reggie. Yeah. Most of us want one in yeah. real life. But I can still feel that father that friend that brother in the movies and it that lesson of well pick up that shotgun and you got some work to do That's you got to burn jawa ass and and work hard exactly yeah he he wants to die on his feet with that shotgun in his hands he's never ever going to give up i think um i've uh, i've talked to uh dustin mcneil who wrote the um phantasm exhumed books we've recorded a conversation really really you know going into ravager and uh, we were talking about how it really reminds us both of you know the dylan thomas poem about rage rage against the dying of the light and that that ref refusal to to give in to age and it's I don't know so much if it's astute from the director's standpoint, Mr. Don Coscarelli, but he was very close with Reggie even before this. Reggie had been on his two previous mm -hmm. films. I can't yeah. help but on, on my side, just my pure opinion, feel a lot of that character is the real guy of Reggie not cutting his hair. And he, he was very young in the first Phantasm. That bald streak wasn't something he wasn't used to. He always let his freak flag fly if you will and was very proud mm -hmm. of who he is and that leaks into the character in such great realism like no matter what you should believe in yourself and then his undying love for it's not even really his family it's a community that idea of just protecting other people there's something that i find very romantic about it just uh, just in the whole sense of yeah Reggie's character and it's again wonderful with Phantasm that you can look at it through so many different perspectives because you can watch the entire series focusing on Mike and go back and watch it all over again focusing on Reggie yeah. and it's a different experience you suddenly yeah. start looking at things so much and it's I, I know I'm using the word perplexed a lot but I think <laughs> Phantasm 2 is the, the perplexing Phantasm because so much you really doubt the reality and by the time you get to yeah. five it's just like man who knows if it was real and there's just some iconic and wonderful wonderful scenes in this movie that i that you've got this hitchhiker character that runs through the movie that's introduced dead and you don't know 
yeah. what any of it means. And you, I just watched the movie right before we started recording, <laughs> and I'm jotting down notes of like, what does this mean? And it's my notes are like, what does this mean? Question, question, <laughs> question mark. I can't <laughs> can't use this for the show, but that to me is 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 I'm enamored with I think Phantasm as a whole because I can constantly yes. find excitement in it like I've never seen it Absolutely. again. Absolutely. And like you say this film in particular it is iconic and even though like you say it's not a lot of people's favorite I think I think if you you know put a four barrel shotgun to our heads most of us would say you know the first one has that special place in our hearts. Um but yeah this this gets a bad rap for many reasons. And you know some of them justifiably so, but when you th- when you think about Phantasm, I think when your av- average person sort of thinks about those films, a lot of the images that they will have in their head will probably come from this film. Um, yes, certainly, especially the tall man himself. That he, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because Angus Scrim was a little bit older by the time this film came around. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, they had. Um, uh, more of a professional tailor on set for the suit. I don't know what it is, but he. When you think of the tall man, I think people imagine the tall man as depicted in Phantasm Two. Something about his look, his stance, everything about him. He's become. He's incredible in that original movie, but in this film, he's just sort of more so somehow. I also don't know what it is about the uh, the fallen priest character that Ken Tiger plays. There's something mm. about him that I I always assess. Well, he's in all the movies. He's in all of them, and he has. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's an underwhelming performance. That sounds insulting, but it's an underwhelming mm-hmm. role. A magnificent, massive performance. Very in depth character actor. And it's just one real scene with him that shocks you. You've got that amazing crucifix scene done with all practical effects, fishing line, man. They were just, you'd never backlight the fishing line, Don Coscarelli says. And so much of it burns into your brain. You've got the gold sphere, the, the Rambo iconic gold sphere, the melting tall man. And for me, I think out of the whole series, one of the most devastating bone chilling shots is when Reggie and Mike finally get to Paragord, Oregon, and it's that graveyard scene where they're just walking over dozens and dozens and all those empty graves. It's chilling. And I mean, and that's just, you don't see filmmaking like that anymore. Coscarelli just rented a guy with a backhoe. And as he says, that's how many graves you can get in eight hours. Yeah. So it's all practical. They dug these holes. I I think according to Reggie Bannister on the, the Phantasm II commentary track, it was abandoned oil territory so they just were allowed to tear it up and it's the vision of Coscarelli I think you've touched upon this a great deal in the first season Mm -hmm. but the um, idea of Coscarelli's fear of death and when he became aware of it and that he was going to die I think the imprint of that has has become a a moving picture throughout his films and that even if you don't like watch the movie seriously he has captured this vision of death that is it's like a Bosch painting. It's just really perfect is, and yeah. gorgeous and all these. It's terrifying, but you don't ever want to stop looking at it. And it's it's something almost pure. It is very childlike. This big, scary boogeyman is death. and But it works. What else is... is it still scares me. I mean, yeah. I'm afraid of death, uh, certainly. But Phantasm, uh, almost like a cathartic experience, allows me to maybe not be so afraid mm. Um, I'm just afraid to go into the red planet more more yeah. than anything else. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, none of us know. Maybe we do go to the red planet. We'll never know until it's too late. 
But I love um, at the beginning of Oblivion, the montage of shots from the previous films and the use of that shot from Phantasm 2 with all the open graves and the way it's spliced together. Like you say, it really is kind of nightmarish. It's like, you know, welcome to hell. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> it's so unlikely yeah, and- that all the candles are still lit inside that old chapel, but it's so gothic and yeah. sumptuous. Like, who's, who's the tall man employed to loiter around there and keep the candles lit? I love it. There's just a, a candle lighter Jawa that has a bit yeah. just runs around, just lighting it up. <gasps> I, that scene itself has always made me really, and it's, this is a trendy thing now, we can, we can hashtag Oppenheimer, but watching yeah. Phantasm 2 and that, that, especially like, the tall man has these appearances throughout the movie, and in the first shot of Reggie's house exploding, you see mm. the tall man walking away from the side, and I just can't help but think of the I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, it's stupid of me to give that quote to, to J. Robert Oppenheimer because yeah, it because comes it's... from something <laughs> yeah. much older, but I, I just... Yeah, <laughs> he did not coin that phrase. No, That's not an Oppenheimer quote. Gita, right? But it's so <laughs> um, dark. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't going to say it because I wasn't sure. I realized halfway through my monologue of like, I don't know how to say it. I don't know. <laughs> but it's so beautiful. Right. And it's it's something yeah. that but the, the experience of death with Phantasm, it, it's it's terrifying on one hand. But there's something again, going back to it kind of being childlike uh, of there. These people are being squished down and turned into these dwarves that are slaves mm. on an alternate planet, almost not coping with it, not realizing when you die, you you you're just you don't know where you go. You know, not speaking on religious experiences, but the body's gone. You've lost that person in your life. What do you do? Yeah. This movie plays so much on that fear and terror. You've got the grandma that comes back and and is its mm. own little dwarf, and all these very predictable childlike things suddenly become nightmare scapes. And it's it's one of the wonderful things about I think this movie itself that even though Mike has grown as a character we're still somewhat in a very childlike fantasy of just we're going to cruise the country in the car we're going to pick up chicks we're going to kill bad guys and I I don't know if it's on purpose or not but you never really see the faces of any of the dwarves so it's it's not even like there's a persona or someone put mm. to it and it's kind of like a kid just a, like playing a game in their own head to to trivialize the situation but i also like to believe everything i'm seeing is real that i i almost feel sometimes being too analytical on it destroys phantasm that what if mike gets out of the asylum and had this vision and him and reggie are on the road what if all of it is real and that is just as pleasing for me (laughs) i i almost prefer that because (laughs) As you'll later find out in the series, not everybody has the best uh, future ahead of them. But, <laughs> well, no, man, no, if it no. was all real. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. That you never get that, that clear right or wrong answer. And that's why there's something of all the sort of, you know, Phantasm cliffhanger endings. In some ways, this one is my favorite just for how how iconic Angus is with the it's only a dream. No, it's not. Do you remember in the um the tra I saw the trailer for this film before I saw the the movie itself on a rented VHS. I'm not sure what horror film it was. Um and it the trailer ended with that it's only a dream. No, it's not shot. But it's not the same one they used in the film. They're in the 
they're in the corridor of the mausoleum and, and, a, and a huge partition opens up. Do you know the, the one I mean? I do. I, and it's, I don't, I, I don't know if that shot's actually in the movie. It isn't. Either. No. And I, I love that. Even that yeah. to me <laughs> adds this element of surrealism to it. I'm like, hang on, I've seen this scene before, but it's not in the film. And that's something always mesmerizing is questioning yourself when it comes to the reality of Phantasm. And I've I've kind of felt for years that this movie begins immediately where part one ends because it's connected to Michael's vision. And yeah. as I watched it to prepare for this and just to enjoy myself and watch the movie again, I did. I watched it three times since yesterday. I watched it once with the commentary and then I watched twice yeah. just for I got to watch every scene of this movie. Uh. And uh, it's not that I'm wrong. Yeah, it's and it's that's a, even a statement to a movie series itself that I could watch it three mm-hmm. times in a row and mm-hmm. I'm not bored with it. I could go for four. I kind of yeah. want to, especially when we're done, just to to look <laughs> to at reflect. some of the things. We've yeah, talked about. I do that sometimes. But I really question now, uh, and just my opinion, if it is Michael, if it is his vision, or perhaps we really have gone directly into. Reggie, maybe nothing happened in the first movie. Maybe it was all the psychosis from Michael, and that's what we're building on as the reality here. And you constantly will will question and have these what-ifs. And it's not that, uh, because you could say it's lazy filmmaking. I think Don never really knew if they were going to be able to make another Mm, one mm. and just had so much film stocked from the other films. It just was a, a freak Beautiful chance. All right, guys, we get to make Phantasm 3, so let's get the crew together and get all that old footage and see what we can do. And each time you were, I think throughout the, especially how broken up they are through their release, I think you're looking at Don Coscarelli's visions of death and anxiety as he progressed and moved as a person. And that's why each movie is so starkly different with its even attitude, that I, I it, it gets a lot graver yeah. around Phantasm Four, and I believe he was in his like mid-40s mm, at mm. that time period, and it that's a dark period that for a lot sense. of people. Yeah, and what's interesting it, with, with Phantasm Three is that when, when Reggie's kind of front and center as the action hero, that they bring in this character of Tim to try and sort of recreate that sort of plucky child protagonist. In some ways in the role of Mike yes. in that first film, trying to recapture that. And yet Mike is always our hero and the the one that we follow and root for and see through his eyes. Whereas with Tim, it's framed more that Reggie is trying to protect him. And of course, Tim is resourceful and he can look after himself to a degree. But again, it's that kind of, it's the filmmaker, the storyteller is aging in real time. And now he's not a young man anymore by Phantasm 3. He's a father of a kid who's probably about the same age as Tim and it doesn't hit the same as as Mike as us, you know, rooting for this this young character. It's kind of we're kind of in Reggie's shoes in the in the protector role. Do you know what I mean? I sometimes also feel that Tim could just be a representation of innocence and the fact that how quickly it can die. You don't just turn 16 and suddenly become a man. Sometimes your innocence can be ripped away from you at a very young age. And that we still have Mike and Reggie as our avatars, but Tim is a representation of perhaps Mike's childhood mm. dying and it being taken away from him with his parents' death or just Jody's death. We never also get clarification if their parents died in the wreck or Jody died in another wreck or, or what happened. If Tommy's oh, you, really dead, did any of this yeah. really happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've kind of you've blown my mind there with the idea of Tim as a as a manifestation 
of, of of Mike's childhood, you know, especially with what I was saying about how Reggie is trying to protect this. And I always thought it was kind of a little bit cheesy how Tim literally wears the same clothes Mike wore in the original film, you know, the blue denim and the plaid shirt. But now if 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 he is that manifestation or even if Reggie's just projecting that onto him, that's it, it's kind of sweet, but also kind of tragic, especially because we know what happens to Mike in that third film and how you know he has the gold sphere in his head and he is becoming like the tall man and he, he shuns reggie at the end and of course that and tim dies for all for all we're aware you know he never resurfaces not even a cameo like rocky so the fact that the child who looks like mike that reggie is trying to protect is effectively murdered by the tall man at the end of phantasm 3 wow I've, I'm gonna. I'm never gonna see that the same ever again now. And you do get the exposure of the the gold ball in Mike's head, which I it, trying to like bring realism to it, doing the Christopher Nolan job. Let's make it realistic. Yeah, yeah. I've kind of felt that it's like the cancer of being an adult that you mm-hmm. are growing into death. No matter you want to avoid it, but you eventually grow into. What you never wanted. You're going to have these responsibilities so as a kid. And when you're like yeah. eight or nine, you do, well, you sit around and you're like, if I had a million bucks, man, I'd have a butler and I would read comic books all day. And then one day you uh, find yourself yeah. working or family life or you, you've grown up and it's like faintly. I, I remember Superman. I really love that. But those days of sitting outside in your red shirt and shorts and your little dumb baseball cap with a lollipop are just over. Mm. And it's just this visage sort of of memories in this faint thing so it could also be reggie's childlike nature dying because he slowly goes from he always craves women and that never changes but Mm. he does Mm. seem to lose a sense of his wow his excitement that it becomes he becomes a hunter and he has to kill to survive and this is for we don't know if he was a hippie but what we see in the first movie is a very uh flower childlike guy And the guitar. And a, yeah, he seems hippie, more like yeah. he would be into peace and love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. He, he's not the type that would be murdering. And, uh, no. you know, you got to question that, too, of of what are they doing and killing? There's an awesome scene with the fallen priest in Phantasm 2 where he stabs a dead body, which leads to a character having a heart attack. And it's an amazing scene. But this guy is is killing the dead. Yeah. So what is inside of them? What? They or do or do souls exist? I mean, we have so many I, questions and never answers with Fantasm. I, I know, but I it, love it. It allows you to open your mind. I love it. I've always been intrigued by that scene. You're so right. Why does he stab the heart, and what connection does that have? Is it a magical blade? I suppose he's a priest or a vicar. Like um, maybe he's blessed it somehow, a consecrated blade. I don't know. But yeah, like you, I always lean to towards the fact that yeah. Do, do people have a soul and is that what the tall man needs as well as the body because that's the really odd thing that the dwarves the scene where uh when liz's grandmother has been transformed and it's coming towards her and saying her name yeah elizabeth and it knows her and you think is there some vestige of her grandma still in that creature or is it just mocking her, taunting her? But if there is some vestige, it kind of implies that some it's not just a physical thing. Some part of the soul of the person is required for this thing. And is Father Myers 
you know saving their souls by doing what he does i love it it's i learn i love not knowing yeah and you 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 can get a firm grasp in one movie and then you move to the next film and it makes you rethink everything because nothing is shown in the same interpretations except mm. really the the red planet Nothing really changes there, and all we know is that it is the worst place you could possibly be, except in Ravager. You kind of get a, a, a... Most people accuse 2 of being the most action-based movie, yeah. but when we go to the, the Red World and Ravager, man, that is a... It's a kick-ass sequence. I'm not a huge fan of that movie, but I'm, I, I don't feel... I mean, I would say it's a five-star movie just because it's got Phantasm in the title, and so much oh, love same. was put into yeah. it, and so much heart, like... I have no dislike to any of them. So saying one is lesser no. than the other would be like saying I hated one of my kids or something, you know? <laughs> like I, I I love each phantasm and I don't have kids. <laughs> yeah. I just have phantasm movies. That's <laughs> they are my yeah. kids be- and I've spent <laughs> years like quandering on all this and in the last few mm-hmm. days it was like okay, the pressure's on. We're going to record something what are my thoughts on Phantasm 2? <laughs> and I got to the end of the movie and just, uh, it's such trepidation because what are my thoughts? They, they're they everything and there's so much per movie. I mean, you were discussing at the beginning of the show what, what to do with Morningside FM. And I mean, you could just do each season based on one movie alone because the conversation Easily. so drastically yeah. changes and there are so many bases to cover. I mean, fan, and it it really does. I think the fork gets stuck in the road with Phantasm Two of is this real or is this all a dream? And by the yeah. end of this run, we don't even know whose dream it is. I think we certainly know it's not Jody's. Though. No, it's it's not his dream. And that's a fairly safe bet. Um, but yeah, even in this one, is it Liz's dream? <laughs> it's, but um, and it's I do think it's, it's kind of a shame the character is never touched upon again. Yeah, yeah. I was always surprised that she wasn't even uh, that I know of, sort of spun off in any other medium as well, sort of comics and things. Now, I've never read the Phantasm Forever script. I've read a lot about that script and I've read about the read through and seen the clips, obviously. And I'm not sure if um, if Liz was supposed to be in that in some shape or form or not. I would have loved to see the character return. Yeah, it's sort of a darkness that hit me at the end of Phantasm Five, where Liz nor Timmy got any sort of resurgence, and it was like, well, oh, are, I guess they're really dead. So yeah. there seems to be, maybe if you take that very literally, some sort of final death that can yeah. happen, which is bizarre, yeah. because if the tall man has taken everything over and they're becoming his slaves, what does death become? I mean, is death freedom at this point that... You you finally have a pure, but that's so much because you don't really see those characters. I think if anyone is is chasing freedom, it's Reggie. That no matter what, yeah. he won't give in to things, and uh, it's hard to avoid Phantasm Three. But that's a money spot with the evolution of Mike. You really hit yeah so much that you can theorize theorize on rather as to where Phantasm Two it even if it isn't real. It's still kind of badass. There, there's a lot oh, of yeah. great. I I like to think of the movie that if Phantasm, the whole like all five of them was just one big thing. Every movie has to have a good training montage, yeah. and Phantasm Two is the training montage oh. of this movie series. Yeah, <laughs> but also there's that you know the Reggie's line about um, you know Mike told me it'd take us years to find the tall man, and if we did, we'd probably die. And there's something like almost at the risk of getting too lofty, kind of like 
that's almost like something out of Beowulf. You know, there's a kind of Anglo-Saxon sense of the long defeat in that and the good death, that we're not going to victory, we're just going to die well, which is, is so bleak, but at the same time, so Reggie and so defiant, you know? Dying in the fight against death. Uh, it it, it yeah. seems more poetic than anything else, but that too almost seems like a young man's thought of I'm going to die fighting death as to where Reggie's just, I'm going to die at least on my feet. Yes. I, I, there's something poetic behind every character, and even when Jody gets reintroduced, you have so much that you can deal with him almost as being the inner grief that each person feels and has in their head of who they used to be and what they used to be in life or what they were yeah. like in their 20s, and you can never really get rid of that grief. You can work to get over it, but it will always exist in some form or another, even if the person in the sense of Jody is dead. Because as with Timmy yeah. and Liz, we really don't know what happened to Jody. And Phantasm Five makes it <laughs> far more difficult for me when <laughs> even he harder. shows up in yeah. the movie. I was just like, but he's, <laughs> yeah. what? All right. But that's the glory yeah. of it. You know, you I, I never up. mean to speak poorly of, of Phantasm Five. Oh no, I'm a I'm a huge fan, and I'm glad I'm glad to hear you are too. So many people are negative on that film, and um, I really look forward uh, for you and everyone else to hear the episode on Ravager I recorded with Dustin because you know, we we really defend that movie against its critics because, like you say, it was, it's made with such love, and it's such a fitting end to Reggie's journey. It's just it's perfect. I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't I won't hear a bad word against it. Even when I first saw it, I. I had trivial things that I disliked about the movie, but something after years of doing podcasting and talking about movies on the internet, I've realized is just, uh, just the usages of words that sometimes I can so quickly say, ah, oh, that sucked. Mm. I didn't like it that much, but on Letterboxd, I'd give it a 4.5 stars over whatever reasoning that you, you say something sucks and people take it so close to heart. A part of me can easily say, ah, Phantasm Ravenger, it sucks. And then I sat down and really watched the movie, and you do all of them together, and you get to Ravenger. The things that I so easily could dismiss are just skin deep, and I think this is a brave statement, but I really think you're not a true Phantasm fan with a, a capital P if you hate Ravager. What the hell's that? Oh, shit. Get out of here. Yeah, we're back after a little technical glitch there, and we are unfortunately going to have to wrap it up. But it wouldn't be Morningside FM if I didn't let you go without asking you a question from Killian H. Gore's unauthorized quiz book. And I have to admit, I, I, I opened it on the Phantasm 2 section. I thought I'll keep it on brand. But uh, even I didn't know the, the answer to this one. And I'm I'm wondering if it's even in the film, but let's see if you know. What is the full name of the young woman introduced oh, at the no. beginning of the movie? Is it A, Elizabeth Reynolds, B, Elizabeth Redgrave, C, Elizabeth Redding, or D, Elizabeth Rays? Oh, I think it's A, but Redgrave sounds so on the nose for Coscarelli. Oh, no. I don't know. Jeez, I really... I uh, Is it A? 
Yes, I would have given it you anyway. It was your first guess. Yeah, Liz Reynolds. And that was oh, wow. racking my brain. I think it's <laughs> written down um, on the cover of her journal in that first scene, but I don't think anybody actually says her name out loud. So, yeah, Liz Reynolds. Well done. I think it might have been of a cheat for me because I was looking at the cast list beforehand and something in my mind triggered It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I think it was the name Reynolds. So anyway, well, Harry, thank you so much for joining me. It's a shame we were beset by uh, by dwarves in the machine, but I've really, really enjoyed the chat. And um, just before we go, uh, to tell the Morningside FM listeners where they can find you on social media for all your various projects and, and what have you. Well, Chris, it's been fantastic being on Morningside FM, pun intended, fantastic. And I hope, if anything, maybe if you weren't the biggest fan of Phantasm 2 walking into this episode, you might be able to look at it a little bit differently and enjoy Phantasm 2 for the first time. It's often underlooked, but I think it's integral to the entire point of the series. And if you're interested in hearing more about Phantasm from Death by DVD, you can go to deathbydvd.com slash phantasm and find every episode available. You can also find every episode of Death by DVD available there. And if you're into indie horror films, check out Dark Tales from Channel X, which I appear in as Johnny the Pizza Boy, or hunt down a copy of Opening the Mind by Michael Todd Schneider, a.k.a. Michael Maggot. I also appear in that. Thank you again so much for having me on the show. I hope to come back sometime and philosophize fantastically about phantasm i think uh, harry will be back on the show sooner rather than later but thanks once again to my guest this week harry from the death by dvd podcast as we mentioned go out and check out their podcast especially their phantasm episodes well that's phantasm 2 moving on now to phantasm 3 next week i will be joined by the host of not just what i think is probably the best horror podcast out there but also quite possibly my favorite podcast of all time um i am beyond thrilled to be joined by the one and only mike munzer from the evolution of horror podcast to discuss all things phantasm 3 lord of the dead so see you next week for that one and make sure you're subscribed to morningside fm to be notified when that episode drops uh you can subscribe to us on all the usual podcast platforms and make sure you're following us on instagram at phantasm pod You have been listening to Morningside FM, the premier Phantasm podcast made by Phantasm fans for Phantasm fans. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, find and follow Morningside FM today, available everywhere podcasts can be found. And of course, links will be available on our website, www.deathbydvd.com, and listen to deathbydvd.transistor.fm. Morningside FM, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, iTunes, everywhere podcasts can be found. <laughs>